and welcome to the Injury Prevention Podcast from BMJ Journals. My name is Brian Johnston. I'm the Editor-in-Chief. Throughout 2015, the journal is celebrating 20 years of publication. In each issue this year, we're going to highlight a paper from our anniversary archives. These are papers that were chosen by our readers from the Injury Prevention Archives as manuscripts that have had enduring influence or impact in our field. We've also invited members of our current editorial board to submit their comments or reflections on the paper. You can read these papers without access restriction at injuryprevention.bmj.com. You can also leave comments online, explore other papers in the archive, and link to our blog. Today we're going to discuss a paper by Carol Runyon entitled, Using the Haddon Matrix, Introducing the Third Dimension. This was a paper originally published in Injury Prevention in 1998. Our volume four, pages 302 to 307. And along with the reprinted paper, the current issue of the journal features a linked commentary entitled Research and Practice in a Multidimensional World, a commentary on the contribution of the third dimension of the Haddon Matrix to injury prevention. To talk about these papers, I'm joined by the lead author of the original manuscript, Dr. Carol Runyon, who is currently director of the Pediatric Injury Prevention Education and Research Program and a professor of epidemiology at the Colorado School of Public Health in Denver. In addition, we're joined by Morik Mackay, who's a program manager at the European Child Safety Alliance and co-author of the commentary and reflections that accompany Dr. Runyon's paper. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Carol, why don't we start with you and uh, thinking back to the beginning, can you tell us what motivated you to develop the conceptual framework that you outline in the paper? I actually wrote this paper in one afternoon and it was basically just writing down a lecture I had been giving for a number of years to my injury prevention students based on um, trying to merge the ideas from the Haddon model I had been introduced to Bill Haddon in 1980 in the summer session course with uh, concepts that I had learned as a graduate student in studying um, social policy and social policy analysis. And I thought that it was useful because while I love the Haddon ma- matrix as a way of generating ideas, the sticking point was then, okay, how do you decide among all these great ideas that, that you generate and go forward. And that's the contribution that comes from the policy analysis way of thinking, which is what motivated the third dimension as, as a way to make decisions among different kinds of options. Carol, I know uh, you had an opportunity to meet Bill Haddon, uh, probably late in his career and early in yours. Do you know if he ever discussed or thought about the use of values in decision making? I don't know. Uh, when when he taught The Matrix and then Sue Baker, who has obviously taught it um, for many years and, and she and I have taught it together, I've n- I never heard mention of him uh, using it with mention. I wish I could have shared the paper with him and had a chance to, to see how he reacted to it, but he died before that was possible. I did when I submitted the paper to injury prevention suggested Leon Robertson, who had been a close collaborator of Bill Haddon, suggested him as a reviewer. And while I don't know if he actually was one of the reviewers or not, I think he's someone who would have um, had a better sense of, of how Haddon might have responded. This was initially published as a methodology paper in injury prevention. 
Do you recall, did you have any trouble convincing the journal or its reviewers that it was a useful framework? No, as I recall, the reviews were quite positive, um, and I didn't do much in the way of revision of the paper. I mean, it has been a while ago, and I, but I don't, I don't think there were any major concerns about the manuscript. I, I did not submit it as a methodology paper. As I recall, I just submitted the journal. I'm not sure there were all those sections quite as, as um, firmly defined as they are now at that time. Um, and the editor chose to put it in a methodology section, which was fine with me, but I didn't actually submit it as such. Do you recall how the paper was received at the time? Um, I got a number of letters from people or emails after the paper came out um, and, oh, and have continued to receive them over time, um, telling me that it was useful to them, that it was a useful framework for thinking, and so that's been very gratifying. I've also used it myself in teaching when I teach about injury prevention, but also I've used it in teaching students about general principles of public health. Um, I teach a doctoral seminar related to that, and I teach a, um, an introductory course for brand new students of public health to introduce basic concepts of public health, and I use it in that context because I think the beauty of the Haddon Matrix is that it is fundamental principles of public health that I think sometimes have gotten forgotten in uh, as public health has morphed over time. And so I use it as a way to kind of bring students to understand basic concepts of agent-host environment interaction, of primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. And it's very useful in that context. And some of the most gratifying feedback I've gotten is from students who have been exposed to it in one of my classes and then written back to me about using it in a community context. And I remember, for example, a student a number of years ago who was not an injury student but who went on and was doing work um, on infectious disease in Africa and wrote back about how she had used the model um, I believe, in, in working with a community around schistosomiasis. And it was just so gratifying that, that somebody had used the model because of its basic core principles of public health um, orientation in context beyond injury as well as within injury. So the, the paper was initially published now um, almost 20 years ago, um, and you've had uh, a busy career since then. Are there ways that the paper foreshadowed or maybe influenced your own uh, later work in injury prevention? Well, uh, the concepts certainly have influenced um, everything I've done in public health. And the, the combination of has ideas as basic core principles of public health, which, as I mentioned, are, are not always taught as, um, as much as I think they should be in schools of public health, and then the concepts from policy analysis that I that I learned from Duncan McRae and, and Ron Haskins as a as a predoctoral fellow in, in policy have influenced everything I've done since I learned those concepts. So it's less about the paper per se, but the concepts that went into the paper have shaped my thinking about how to understand public health problems, injury problems in specific and how to think about solutions in um, a broad way 
that takes multiple different factors into consideration. One of the, the concerns I have about public health today is um, that there's an increasing emphasis that has been over the last couple decades on sort of individual behavior change strategies for addressing all kinds of problems, um, including injury. And I think one of the appeals of, of Haddon's model and also a policy framework is taking our thinking back out to the outer layers of the social ecologic framework um, that is used within public health and remembering that our best interventions usually are those that change things at the environmental or system level. And I think this model and working through it with the third dimension really helps students see that set of ideas in a, in a clearer way um, than they're always taught in, in other ways. Carol, we, we know that um, Haddon's matrix itself evolved over time, and I think it appeared in a number of iterations before s- settling on the, the, uh, the matrix that we recognize today. In the same way, if, if you were going to redraft this paper today, uh, what would you change? Or what aspects do you think you would have deepened or maybe omitted or tried to emphasize if you were rewriting your paper in 2015? There's several things when I teach the matrix that I, that I make a point to emphasize that may or may not come through as clearly in the paper as I would like. Um, one is a point that Sue Baker actually chastised me on at one time when I was teaching this, and that is that the event phase is not the same as secondary prevention. Um, very often the event phase are primary prevention interventions, and I think people want to take the primary, secondary, tertiary framework and just dump it into the matrix exactly along those rows. And it doesn't work quite that way. And I I usually spend a little extra time with students explaining that and and may not have done as good a job in the paper explaining that as um, I should have. I think I also emphasize, and it's in the paper, but I emphasize even more when I teach it that the way to fill in the matrix is to, to do a sentence completion of things that have an effect on blank, which are the columns in the matrix, and have their influence at the time of blank, which are the rows. One of the places where students often get hung up in trying to apply the matrix, and I, I make them use it on, an, on a new problem each time um, and not one that's in the paper, And where students um, often get hung up is around the pre-event and event phase distinctions. Things like, for example, and I I use as an example, you put airbags in a car, obviously, before the car is ever built. And students have a tendency to want to then call that a pre-event strategy, when in fact, it's an event strategy because that's when it has its influence at the time of a crash. I think the other thing that going forward, I, I think that it would be wonderful to to either do another paper, and, and Morag's paper does this to some extent, I mean, to talk more about how it's being used and to get feedback from people who have been using it on what elements work well, particularly in using the third dimension, and what tweaks they would suggest need to be made to use it um, more fluidly. I mean, I've used it, I've used the third dimension with community-based groups 
but I, I would welcome the chance to hear from others about sort of how these ideas have actually been translated into practice and implemented in a practice environment, and are there better ways to explain how to use the concepts um, in the real world? Well, that's a nice uh, segue. Morag, let's turn to you. Uh, from your perspective, uh, why do you think this paper was included in our anniversary archives? What is it about the paper that uh, prompted readers to identify it as being particularly influential in our field? I think it probably stems back um, to the fact that Haddon's matrix is one of sort of the main conceptual frameworks used in injury prevention. Um, and as Carol alluded to, it's it's often used in, you know, sort of injury prevention 101 classes to sort of start people thinking about the chain of events that eventually may lead to an injury. Um, but what her additional or the additive effect of adding that third dimension, I think, was that it really did start to provide a, a process that people could use to actually apply the matrix to um, a real-life situation in terms of then coming up with a decision of how a group was going to proceed to address a particular injury issue that they were looking at. And I, and I think she's very right um, that that's often the piece, that action piece would be missing from exercises that were um, done as part of classrooms or in the real world with, you know, groups of public health professionals sitting around a room trying to decide, you know, what a particular program was going to look like. And I think the fact that she really essentially forces uh, or the process forces you to start thinking about those things that are going to influence uh, each of those potential solutions that you've come up with out of that list and to start to decide which ones are probably most likely going to work or what additional resources might or our actions might be needed in order to ensure that they're more successful. And and I think the other one is is that we're really struggling um, in injury prevention today with how to get things that we know work into place or, or um, have them adopted at various levels, whether it be at a local level, a regional level, or a national level. And um, if you don't think about some of those issues that Carol has put forward in that third dimension, the chances of having a successful intervention are, are much less. So I think that's another reason why it's come up as popular, because even though it's an older paper, we're still grappling with um, that issue of how to get evidence-based practice into the real world. And I think that this particular framework really does help identify those issues that are important to get us there. Morag, do you have any examples of lines of research or policy development program planning that are active now that have been informed by this work? One of the things that um, Bridie Scott Parker, who was my co-author on the commentary, uh, one of the things we did was a, a lit review to see where the program had actually been used. Um, kind of interesting. Uh, again, Carol's already sort of indicated that it's stepped outside of injury, but in addition there to a lot of activity in the area of transport-related injury prevention. There's also been some ongoing work in the area of workplace injuries, uh, violence prevention, particularly um, violence in the workplace, as well as um, some in the community. And it's been applied in some interesting ways as well with different subpopulations. So 
particularly when Indigenous people, where some of those values that you might be identifying um, a priori to, to work against are going to be very culture-specific. So I think that's that's uh, quite interesting. It's It's also been used, and I think this is another place where it's, one of the reasons why it is a valuable valuable step forward is it's been used in lower and middle income countries to address some issues. And one particular example we found was looking at burns from non-electric appliance fires. And the, the group that did this particular paper had gone through the entire process and come up with some solutions that were more likely to be workable in that particular setting. Maura, you've, you've really made a career on the front lines of injury prevention, doing implementation of evidence-based interventions or promoting their implementation through the European Child Safety Alliance. Can you talk a little bit about the way you use these principles in your work there? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different things that, or reasons why this particular paper has really influenced our work. Uh, We do spend a lot of our time trying to increase capacity and influence decision makers um, around the uptake of evidence-based practices. And while we've not actually gone through the specific process that um, Carol has outlined in the paper, this whole idea of identifying values or identifying particular issues that you should be thinking about um, when you're assessing each of the possible interventions moving forward has really helped inform our work. In particular, I'm thinking about, uh, we've done a series of child safety report cards, and in addition to identifying whether or not countries have particular policies in place or not, and to what degree they've been implemented, we recognized that we needed to look more broadly than at just the interventions themselves to some other issues that we sort of grouped under the titles leadership, infrastructure, and capacity, but they really do link back to some of the values um, that we had seen or pulled out as being important things that decision makers needed to be considering when looking at how to ensure that interventions that have been adopted were successful. So uh, I guess I'll put this question to either of you. Where is the leading edge in thinking about prevention intervention or policy analysis today? What kind of work should our junior colleagues be focused on and what kind of research is needed now in order to get what we know works into into actual practice? Well, I'd like to just back up to one thing, you know, based on on some of Morag's comments. I mean, the the other thing that I think is useful in coming out of applying the model is, and I mentioned this in the paper, that it it gives people tools then when they're moving from their analysis as an advisory group or public health department or whatever the group is that's coming up with solutions, it then gives them the language to use in their advocacy um, efforts to talk about why they arrived at the, the intervention decisions that they made, that it's grounded in preserving freedom and reducing stigmatization or minimizing cost to the community or, you know, whatever the values are and how they they shook out in the analysis. I think it then gives a more rational way to present the um, recommendations that come out of such an analysis, which I think is a really powerful attribute in, in using this to make change and not just be kind of an academic exercise. So maybe that begins the conversation about how we use it going forward. I mean, I think that 
one element of at the leading edge of practice is, you know, to really emphasize the use of evidence and the model emphasizes evidence. And, and I would say, you know, effectiveness as sort of the primary first concern. I mean, if something doesn't work, I'm not sure it makes sense to go further with the rest of the analysis or if there's no reason to think it will work. I mean, even if it's a new intervention, if there's not theory or, or some sort of base to assume that it has some chance of working, I think we need to kind of take a step back. I think we do way too many sort of feel-good programs these days that, that aren't as grounded in evidence as they need to be, even though that emphasis is increasing. I think the model also fits in well with the trends toward thinking about implementation science and, and using our best strategies to get people to actually apply known effective interventions in whatever, whatever sector I think what would be really nice going forward is to do some actual translational research to try and understand better how to get people to use this model and what what the obstacles may be, what the triggers may be to to use the model and to use it effectively in different kinds of settings um, and then be able to publish that as further help for people who are trying to use it and and make it work in, in different kind of situations. I really support that. Um, one of the things that Carol had shared with us when we were preparing the commentary um, was that she had really encouraged people to document the process when they used the framework um, for their work. And I really think a lot can be learned from sharing processes. We do a lot of sort of case study work here in Europe with trying to get people to share a issues related to the process, what went well, what didn't go well, why, you know, the factors involved in that in order to share that. And I really think that this sort of thing that she's described would be extremely useful. In fact, Bridey Scott Parker said to me that in revisiting the paper and, and doing the commentary, she's gotten really quite excited and she she's really looking now at doing some sort of an exemplar to try and support what she called reticent practitioners who maybe would like to use the framework but are not really sure of the process. And so she's thinking, you know, something that really walks people through a little more, a, a specific example, um, and sort of points out some of the things that Carol's just mentioned in terms of the, the pitfalls in the process or what worked really well, that sort of thing. Again, I think a few of those would really encourage people to to begin to take up this approach. And I think the more we do document those sorts of processes, the easier it is for people to learn from others' successes or challenges. Well, thank you both very much for those ideas. I will say on behalf of the journal that examples of program implementation and use of the process in decision-making and developing a, a program that's based on evidence would fit nicely into our program report section. It's certainly a section of the journal that we are hoping to grow and would welcome contributions there. I'll also mention uh, that Safety 2016, the 12th World Conference on Injury Prevention and Safety Promotion to be held in Finland has as its theme knowledge translation and implementation science. So people that are working in this area or have ideas for abstracts should be developing those uh, because abstract submission starts in May of this year. That was Carol Runyon and Morag Mackay discussing our anniversary archive selection in the April 2015 issue of Injury Prevention. 
entitled Using the Haddon Matrix, Introducing the Third Dimension, a paper originally published in 1998, along with the linked commentary, Research and Practice in the Multidimensional World, Commentary on the Contribution of the Third Dimension of the Haddon Matrix to Injury Prevention. These papers are both available in the April 2015 issue of the journal. In print and online, look for the Anniversary Archive section. And that'll conclude this edition of our podcast. Please join us in June for highlights from the next issue. 